Welcome to NGF News, everybody. Uh, we got a latest global developments episode today. Before we get started, just to make sure to follow us on our Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. The Instagram and uh, Twitter are ngf.news, and the uh, Instagram is ngf underscore news. But we got three kind of different ones today that are they're not related in any way, but they are very, very important. Um, the first one, we're discussing the Moscow plans to sabotage undersea cables in the war against Ukraine, question mark. Um, LGD2 is U.S. Senate Democrats are launching a renewed effort to counter China. And the third one is Saudi Arabia wants to start playing a bigger role in the Middle East. Yeah, so these are pretty, um, a good variety that we have today. Um, all hot. Um, we're going to go straight into um, talking about Russia and their plans to quote, question mark, quote, I don't know. Cool question. Cool question. We'll, we'll get into more why there's a little bit of confusion going on here. But Moscow plans to sabotage the undersea cables in the war against Ukraine, question mark, most importantly. Yeah. Um, NATO officials are concerned that Russia may sabotage undersea cables as part of its conflict with Ukraine. Uh, David Katler, I think I said that correctly, yeah. uh, NATO's assistant secretary general, um, told re uh, reporters that Russia was actively mapping the infrastructure of Ukraine's allies both on land and on the seabed. You remember that episode we did not too long ago where we reported that Russia was in the sea uh, looking at quote-unquote wind farms or energy wind farms? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's all so, what Were they looking at both energy wind farms and planning where those sea cables were? Or were they just planning, looking at sea cables, but they just coincidentally happened to be at all the, the wind farms as well? Well, maybe, yeah, maybe it's a... Uh... They have a, like a, a line between them, or they're related. They're, they're, they, oh, they have to be related because they're all in the North and Baltic seas. So they're like, hmm, yeah, or might as well here. I think maybe they just like followed a pattern of wind farms to maybe distract mm. from the finding these cables. But then I, I guess the intelligence chief at NATO and um, David Catler figured that it out that they were looking at more. Things to disrupt Western life. Just to talk about those undersea cables, they um, report some 95% of internet traffic around the world speeds about 200 terabytes per second. An estimated 200 of these 400 cables are deemed critical, according to NATO, and they are estimated to have financial transactions of 10 trillion US dollars per day. Per I, don't, day. I don't think. Like, it's just to think about 200 terabytes per second. That is... <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> that's like, you can buy a, an NVMe SSD you, that you plug in your computer. That is one terabyte. How long will it, does it take to just upload? Or just like, not even, just to have like a terabyte of storage filled. Like, my computer upstairs has two terabytes, and I haven't even used one of them yet. So for them, for these cables to be transporting 200 terabytes yeah. a second with trend, 10 trillion dollars worth of our transactions going through these cables, just knocking out one of them. Enough. <laughs> yeah. Knocking out one of them would be enough to, to cause a major, major outage. Yeah. And NATO is warning all member countries to protect these cables at all costs because, as we said, it's going to have significant economic and security implications. Um, because of the amount of traffic they carry. Um, this comes after um, the uh, previous attacks on the Nord Stream pipeline and where Russia was mapping out uh, where these wind energy farms are. So it's kind of been busy in that sea. 
Yeah, um, very busy. So NATO, this is why it's a question mark, and this is why we put it, because NATO has not provided specific evidence of Russian plans to target undersea infrastructure, but they said they're monitoring it closely. So they're like, okay, there's a strong, very strong possibility, but they haven't released direct evidence yet to the public. Maybe they're keeping it um, secret for now. So if it were secret, I don't know why they would say it. But in the first I, place, yeah, I don't, I don't know what their, what their goals are, what they're trying to do. It's just like the Nord Stream pipeline. Like we still don't know who really blew it up. Was it the Americans? Was it the United Kingdom? Was it the Russians? Was it the Ukrainians? Who knows? Yep. And so this is another thing that they're uh, and obviously from the reconnaissance that they had gathered uh, from that ship that was looking at the wind farms, quote unquote wind farms, because we don't. We, we, I mean, like, yeah, they passed through them, but were they really looking at them now? We don't know. So this was probably just just based on information that they were gathering from the routes that they were taking past the wind farms, which could have the cables connected through them or under them. Something about that, but there is going to be heightened security now. They are going to have step up their naval presence within the North and Baltic Seas. So that is going to, and, and they didn't say just like, oh, we're going to have more. They said significantly increase the number of ships. So they're really afraid of something. So this is obviously a threat to not just like the their cables with NATO in general to waters. It's a Western life. I mean, if they knock out this it. internet, like yeah, it's not just like between the U.S. and Europe that the, these cables are important to just about every piece of the world. Yeah, really, there's so much data that goes through there that goes to Europe and then that passes through Europe and goes to um, the rest of the countries past Europe. So it's like yeah. okay, they have a duty to uphold and it's to protect that because the rest of the world is going to be like, what the hell. <laughs> Like we like this is this is on your guys' turf. Like what are you guys what are you guys doing? Yeah. And I'm oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> we said it at the same time. But this this is weird because this is the first kind of like show of force from I'm not gonna say NATO, I'm gonna say Europe. Because this the United States is not going to automatically send those ships over there. We're not gonna be the first ones that can get over there anyway. So this is a show of force from Europe. I like that <laughs> because Europe is known, no offense to any Europeans, we're just kind of trying to talk it out and like diplomatically try to figure things out. But I this mean, this is the first step, of course. This is a big step. Yeah. To show kind of show of strength that they need to, to show to Russia and prove that like, we're just not going to, you can't just have like ships going through the sea that are military. Like this is not going to happen. They're like enough, enough is enough now. Yeah. Um, but it, it raises a question of, will they send some saboteurs, and will Russia send some, like, private saboteurs? No, jeez. Or is it just going to be, like, you, you know what I mean? I know what you mean, yeah. Like, are they going to... Are they going to... If they were to. <laughs> if, if, Asterix. Are they going to do it publicly or privately well i mean russia is known for doing that i mean the entire syrian conflict to not technically involve themselves in a war where the united states is president mm -hmm. they sent out 
contractors and military contractors to do their work, do their dirty, dirty deeds. And they were flying their uh, Russian flags all over their military yeah. vehicles. So, and so this wouldn't. That's not going to be the first time. Is and if they are going to do it, it's smart. It's like we did not condone this. This was the actions of private uh military we did not do this same thing they're doing now it's uh the private military contractors wagner group yeah in ukraine they're oh like well uh, i don't know they're uh, kind of on their own over there we just sent them yeah that, that's that's how they're that's how they're doing it yeah have they have they said it's a war or are they still saying it's a special military operation oh it's definitely still a special military operation i haven't heard them declare I a war they haven't right okay i mean it is a war, but they haven't declared Oh, well, on their, you know? their eyes, like, it's just, you know, yeah. it's just another day. And yeah, it's just, you know, ridiculous. we want our Russian-speaking territories. Like, that, uh, it's weird. But this is this is definitely um, important for NATO to monitor because le- the, it, the implications of the internet going out, and not just the internet. The internet is one thing, but it's it, the next thing is financial. This is one thing that they were talking about is financial security that – they were not able to if they t- strike these systems out, like you're not going to be able to get your bank anymore and get your money. Oh, absolutely, there will be no transactions. Yeah, things no like the Swift, like people who send money abroad, businesses who do money, uh, business businesses here in the United States that do business abroad, vice versa. Nothing will happen. No, you happens. cannot. You cannot make. You cannot buy anything. You cannot sell anything. Ships won't be able to go through because, like, if you don't pay for shipping. Yep, they're, I, they're not going to send ships. So this is, yeah, huge, huge. And then the next one they were talking about was energy, obvious one. Mm-hmm. And so that is that's big too because if they do this, and then they can say, oh, well, guess what? You need our oil, and that'll save the Russians um, for their war effort because they'll be able to get some some capital back into their um, their their military and be able to move more oil to the front lines so th- those are big things in the financial system if that goes down i mean that's immediate world recession immediate yep not even overnight yeah overnight as soon as it happens 10 trillion dollars of transactions done yeah in a day that's half the u.s economy gone well a little less than half but just just wiped away that's a few countries gdps wiped yeah Combined in some cases, yep. like in most in most cases, actually, besides China and the United States, that is combined GDPs of at least two countries. So that's dang, that's very very dangerous. And here's what I, I want to happen next: is I think the United Kingdom, Germany, and France, and and NATO, you know, all together, just need to sit down, come up with a new strategy. To I, I like how they're going to patrol, but they need to come up with a patrol strategy. Because the Russians are clearly getting around the ones that are already there. So they need to come up with an an area to kind of how ships are going to move and how they can track what ships are going in and out. It's going to make business a little bit more difficult for people who are actually just trying to move. Wouldn't that just be a blockade, though, at that point, if you're going to? Well, yeah, you're right. But technically speaking, most of the waters in the North and Baltic Sea are are about 12 miles from... Shore, which are technically the seas of those countries, so they can do it, and only like a small bit in between means international water by mm-hmm. law. If you were to, if that's how seas work, I'm not sure if that's. I know that's how oceans work. I'm not sure if that's how seas work, but if in that case, that 12 nautical miles, 
is either Denmark's or Germany's or you know, Kingdom's, France's. I'm missing a few. Probably Finland, Sweden, all those yep. countries. Yep. They do have that ability to kind of monitor. And, and the fact that a Russian ship was so close to the United Kingdom in the UK kind of just said, oh, yeah, yeah, we're monitoring it. Shocked, shocked me. That is like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you should. It's a ship with a Russian flag and guns on it. <laughs> should have called Putin the next day and been like, you. Like you yeah. gotta get your ships away from me, or you get shots. Like yeah. that, that is that'd be a threat instantly, because that is just telling the Russians, like, oh, okay, we can just keep doing it. Yeah. So there's got to be more of a plan. And the second part is, is the United States need to call Putin and, and just give him a like a hey. You realize by doing this, you're screwing yourself over a little too. That is true. Like you're you're going, you're not you're not helping anybody out here. Like we understand you hate us. Like we get it. <laughs> but don't take out the rest of the world with it because Yeah. You know, you, yeah. Yeah. You you just want Ukraine. You you want a part of this Russian speaking area in Ukraine. For now. Just quit. Just don't do anything stupid. And that, you know, loosely yeah. conversation they should have, but... It, a loose conversation. It, it's hard to even have a conversation with him. He doesn't even want to... Putin doesn't want to speak to the United States. He doesn't answer any he calls He anymore. doesn't, yeah. Unless it's, unless it's Xi Jinping, but that's about it, really. I mean... They've been on radio silences of recent, too. Uh-huh. Those two, they've been on radio silences of recent, because he's, uh, Xi Jinping just talked to um, NATO. Uh, the European Union. Sorry. Yeah, well, you know what it is? It's going to be another part where it's triangular diplomacy all over again. That's yeah, what it's going to yeah. be. This is this is exactly what happened in the Cold War, and we're gonna we're literally seeing it. You know, I don't believe that history repeats itself, but it does rhyme. Mark Twain. Mark <laughs> Twain. <laughs> yeah, and, and I strongly believe that, and I think we're we're seeing this again. Mm-hmm. Um, but do I believe in, in having more ships in in the sea? Yes, I I I agree with you that we do need that more protection of these cables, of these and the wind farms too, the cables, everything. Um. It's their territorial integrity. It's only fair. And I, I agree with you on that. I just yeah. don't want to get to the point where it's just an overall blockade and that every ship that tries to leave has to be like, okay, well Yeah, that to go through. Identify identify yourself, please. Like Yeah. I mean I it's just it's just uh, what they can do is like fly a flag as high yeah, that as makes possible. Sense. But even then, like Russians could just spoof it and be like, Well, here's a bullshit flag of another country. It could, yeah, but I mean, it would be easier to sift through the the, the ships if they did fly yeah. flag, because then you can kind of tell. Who I mean, they already do, but like if they could make it a little more, Obvious. a little more clear. It's communication, really. Yeah, is easy. communication. I mean, you have to when you get to a port, you have to tell them who you are anyway. Oh yeah, you still have to identify. So yourself. you have to identify, it. and so that means that itself is already a, a, a keep safe, or not a keep safe, but a safety mechanism. Yeah. But, I don't know. The, ne- the next another one... Another checkpoint, essentially? Another checkpoint. Dr- I mean, drones could be very useful in this, in this yeah, scenario. Where they, can, they can satellite image, see what's in the ship. You know, is that an invasion of privacy? Whatever, I don't know. Who knows what the laws it's, are. It's a, it's a tough situation, and it's, it's hard yeah. sometimes, but... Something has to be done. Yeah. Because they cannot be getting this close to, to countries' nautical territory. Not only that, but they're getting really close to knocking out trillions of dollars worth of these cables. Yeah. And I think that is... If territorial integrity wasn't a threat, 
this should be a like a wake up call. The thing is that the call should have been at the Nord Stream pipeline because what? Oh, yeah. Look, whether whether or not it was the United States or UK just doing something to provoke something, I don't know, or Ukraine. The the pro the problem is with we didn't ask enough questions. We didn't ask enough questions. We also we didn't investigate enough, and we didn't increase security. When we're supposed to. When we were supposed when we needed to. to, yeah. And that, that in itself is a red flag. Why the heck are we just ignoring Russian aggression? Look, you know, I understand that Ukraine's not a NATO country, but that, that is NATO waters in most in most areas, yeah. Yeah. And the North Stream pipeline is so integral to the energy um what is the word infrastructure, infrastructure <laughs> of Europe. And and we're just like, yeah, you know. Just we'll another just, day. We'll just another day. Like whatever. It's it's surprising sometimes on how how we just push it off. Especially the whole UK situation. Mm -hmm. That should have not been something that was that was pushed off like that. No way. No mm. way. If I was Rishi Sunak that day I would have been like, oh my god. Yeah. I like, would have like actually been like, I would have gone there and I would have just been like, holy f Yeah, MI5 and MI6 should have been, and I'm sure they were, but they should have been on this case much sooner. And and when, I don't know who it was, someone in MI6 put out, uh, I think it was the director, put out a press release saying that this is not a direct threat to the UK's national security. And I'm like, Wow. Wow. It's an unauthorized boat in waters that someone spotted off the coast with guns in Russian camo looking near a wind um, farm. And, I mean, e even if he was just strolling around, like, come on, you can't put two to two together. Like, so the, the, connect the dots. That would have not went well in the United States had a Russian ship just been like, Mm -mm. Been doing that. Mm -mm. And, and, like, we can't send a diplomat over there, but you know for a fact there'd be a call the next day, or we'd send someone from the the Taiwan Strait, send a ship over there, and just kind of sail along the Russian coast and tell them, like, haha, buddy. Wait my hand right now. Yeah. I'd be like, hey there. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, we would do the same. We would do it right back, but they're just doing it. Right. So I don't I don't have any much on this. This is actually something I would love to follow up on and keep going. Mm -hmm. And if there's another development on this, I yeah. would love to do another episode on this. Yeah, um, but this is kind of where we're at right now. I don't know if it's like actually, if there's there's actual actual paper evidence. It's probably in some NATO in, Intel office at the moment. Yeah. But for now, this is what we have. And if we talks, haven't seen yeah, if we haven't seen a white paper yet. Then we're not gonna. It's probably not. Because we don't want to put out rumors out here, but we do want people to be aware that something's going on, especially after there was that drone bombing. Mm, mm -hmm. So this comes right after that. The Kremlin, yeah. Yep. So it's like, okay, drone bombing. Now we have NATO fearing that Moscow might sabotage the might sabotage the undersea cables. It's like. There's a domino effect going on here somewhere. So, yeah, like somewhere. we went from the Nord Stream to the wind farms to the drones to here. 
Yeah, it's not a coincidence. So, they should yeah. prove it at this point. They need that's, to prove That's why we're saying it. If it was just a one-time isolated incident, we probably would have not done it. But because it's been piling up, yeah, we're telling you guys that like something is going on. and we, In our professional we, opinions. In our, <laughs> yeah, and we're <laughs> going to continue moderate. This is a monitor type situation. Yeah, definitely. That's I want to put that out there before people say we're putting out rumors. This is a monitor situation. We're monitoring it here. Read about it. Reuters, Reuters will have this. Um, BBC will definitely have Reuters this had it. BBC story. had it, um, and two other articles had it that I read through it. Yeah, they'll they'll keep up to date on all the things that are going on. Yeah, but other than that, I'm all right on this. Yeah. Do you want to we okay to move on? For sure. Yes. Next topic: U.S. Democrats launch new effort to counter China now. Um, we have been trying to economically compete with China for years. Mm-hmm. President Trump, um, he put the tariffs on China. He started to bring factories back to the United States to try and, and create our own you know, infrastructure to counterbalance China. We can make our own. We can manufacture our own things here. We can have our own energy. And so the Democrats are now under Chuck Schumer, the majority leader. They are announcing a bill. He calls it the China 2.0 bill. That is going to help economically the United States kind of isolate, not isolate itself from compete. China, compete, with, compete China. with China. So this comes after the Chips and Science Act, which I'm one of the under this recent years, probably one of the greatest bills we've ever put out where we put over $180 billion into building chip factories and manufacturing plants Mm -hmm. in the United States, mostly going to be in Maine, I believe. And that should counterbalance where we can have our own chips be put in our own cars and our own computers in the United States, not like locally sourced. And you said $108 billion to that? $180. Yeah, a lot of money. So this this draft that they're creating would add allocate then another 110 billion to things like semiconductor manufacturing science um science of research towards other technologies and uh supply chain security so it's already the 180 billion plus this additional um additional amount of money 110 110 billion billion. i it's in my notes and i i I was like what is that okay but yeah it is for semiconductor production and other technologies i don't know what exactly the other technologies are it's just a variety of stuff but main the main focus is uh semiconductors so um let's see let's yeah yeah so the united states is really is trying to be more ambitious um with their economy because china's strong ambitions towards trying to dominate um the global economy at the moment um so what what this is trying to do is address um creating more semiconductors as the world innovates we're going to need more semiconductors and we can't be relying on china yeah, yeah. or taiwan exactly. because if a conflict happens over there god forbid yeah, we're we're going to be we're going to be cut out of our semiconductors so this is a very good step in the right direction to prepare our uh domestic economy as well as keep the world going as well in case, God forbid, there is some sort of problem, mm-hmm. uh, a more escalated problem in Taiwan. Yeah. One of the biggest issues that the um, the Democrats are, and the Republicans, because the Chips and, um, what's that called? The Chips, the Chips and Science Act passed almost unanimously through both houses. The biggest problem now is for the Republican majority within Congress, they are 
worried about the debt ceiling, which is going to be coming up in uh-huh. a month. They're worried about spending too much debt and stuff like that. So this is going to be really, really difficult this time to get this bill to go through both houses. It might even like get knocked dead in in Congress or to the Senate. This, this draft you're talking. Yeah, about, this draft. Yeah. And my biggest, my biggest issue with the debt ceiling and how we're going to default on all of our loans is like, man, we're the United States of America. We can't. Who do we really owe money to? <laughs> like, yes, we owe money. We owe money. We do. And one day we'll pay it back. We will. We always have in it throughout history. We have the largest economy in the world. No one is worried. We never miss the payment. About not getting their money back. So what the Republicans need to realize here is 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 first thing is they need to raise the debt ceiling. Because that is going to be the most important part to revitalize this economy in a re- economy that might have a mini recession within the next year. And then the second part is, is they need to understand that this act is going to be important to develop our technologies for the future and create thousands of new jobs while also giving us more independent sourcing of products. Yes. Which is another step that the Republicans really need to take in and take fast is investing in getting our uh, energy back to being energy independent, where we don't need to be worried about getting energy and oil from Saudi Arabia, from anywhere in South America, and from Africa. We can be dependent, and we can send it out to other people, so they're dependent on us. Exactly, and so in that case, uh, and and this this is loose macroeconomics, we can make money. We can make money off of our exports and some off of our imports. So those are the steps that some Senate Republicans and Senate uh, or, or House Republicans can make. And, and this this act, I think, and as much as I'm not a big fan of the old Ed Chuck Schumer and the Democrats in the Senate, he is very right in this case to have this act go through. And, and this is a very important act because we can't rely on China or Taiwan, You like you said earlier, to get our chips and semiconductors. We just can't. And it, it it costs us less money, but in the end of the day, I think we've become too reliant on others, and that the United States has just forgotten about what we can be domestically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yes, we need to bring back jobs here, and we also need to help the world out as well with what we create. I mean, why should the world be relying on our adversaries when we're the United States? We can do it. We have the resources. We have the money. And we can fix a lot more problems than semiconductor shortages, which is what this main draft bill is targeting. We can fix a lot more problems like lowering inflation, energy crisis, uh, a lot more things. And how will it fix inflation crisis? Well, you have a bunch of you have the technology you need. We are we are having we have a spending. How do I say this? The, the issue is we're spending too much because we don't have a lot of what we need. So when we're spending way too much, that that causes an issue. But when we have everything here sourced ourselves, U.S. consumers can just buy inwards for yeah. much cheaper than having to purchase things that are way more expensive outside and spend a lot on more expensive items. Yeah, that's such a good point you made that like other countries rely on – don't they don't rely on us anymore to get any of their their products in in many many cases um we've become a very big service economy in the United States and i believe personally and a lot of economists don't believe that this anymore 
But I believe personally that will be the United States' downfall in the future is that we're too service-based and not too much manufacturer-based. For two reasons in the United States. One, we have a very, very small, high-educated skill population in the United States. And we need place for workers who are not high in skill to manufacture jobs. So that's all manufacturer jobs, and that's so important. Some serve and, and, and service jobs too. That's mostly manufacturer jobs. And so, and, and I think that people, what what Trump was trying to do under the the U.S. economy was not has have people rely on the United States to get their stuff, their products, which is why we were energy independent. We were first time in I think forty years net exporters of oil and energy. That's fantastic. And so if you look at the United States more like a business, we're spending much, 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 much more than we are bringing in. And, and that's the, why we also hit our debt ceiling exactly. quick as well. And also the other difference is, is we're not like a business in the, in, the, in the terms that we don't have tax benefits for having debt. There is no benefits for us having too much debt as a country. You know, obviously a business has tax advantages. They pay zero dollars in tax that they have a lot of debt right. in certain, you know, very good securities or real estate. So that's our biggest problem. We need to be bringing in more money. And that is the one way to do it. And this is a great bill. Um, it should be. There More language needs to be put in this bill, for sure. Mm-hmm. Some lawmakers are saying that, as you said before, that Republicans are saying this might be too costly or too aggressive. But what choice do we have at the moment? Republicans in the Senate are very focused on cuts right now. Mm-hmm. I understand that some cuts do need to be made in some places so we don't hit our debt ceiling that quick. But we won't hit our debt ceiling that quick again had we have more jobs here, more jobs, more manufacturing, everything we need in the United States. So everything becomes more cheap for us. Yes. And we can make more revenue because we'll sell, we'll make them here. Sell them out there for a little bit more. Yeah. Call it a day. And we can compete with China also. Yeah. China, yes, they will respond. China will respond. They will find some sort of plan to make stuff more more cheap. Because they're going at that. And they will try to counter us. But that shouldn't dissuade us from doing it. That should encourage us yeah. to compete more and find more ways to, to, um, to counter China yeah. in production. Find ways to be cheaper. Find ways to, well, you know, of course, manufacture it cheaper, but also continue building quality products. Exactly. So this only promotes competition. Mm-hmm. Then we'll have our other partners in Europe be like, okay, well, the United States is doing it. Let's figure out something more of our own. Now you have a globalized effort to a problem yeah. to fix. And, and and that's a great point because one of the things that China is known for is being cheap. But we also see in the Belt and Road Initiative what cheap gets you. It gets you fractured infrastructure, you know, broken railroad systems, roads, horrible internet connection. Yep. Africa is feeling the effects of cheapness. If the United States comes in with something, yes, going to be a little bit more expensive. Quality. Something that the United States has always, always, always been known for. When we rebuilt Europe after World War II. Quality. It was quality. It was some of those roads are still there today that we built. And that is, I think, a big importance that the United States needs to emphasize is that when we're building these semiconductors, we're building these chips, we're exporting this energy like oil and natural gases, or you know these manufacturing plants that are building new goods, we need to 
emphasize quality because the United States, as a capitalist society and economy, builds quality because it's competitive versus China, who is having a who is a communist or a socialist economy, they do not have that type of quality. And right. the oversight from the Chinese government is huge. It, it, it always makes things much, 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 much worse and tougher to get out. And that's what China. we have here in the United States as an advantage. Yeah. No oversight. Some say it's bad and we need more oversight in businesses. Some say that we need to leave them. Well, we need to give them some oversight. Like we need to see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. I, I understand. I believe in oversight when there is monopolization. If there, once this initiative starts, let's say this draft bill becomes reality, who is going to be in charge of it? Which companies? Who's going to be what? What? Who's creating That's it? Question. Who does so, semiconductors? I mean, we have Micron, we have Qualcomm, we have all these big. Um, we have Nvidia as well. Ah, Nvidia. Nvidia, Qualcomm, Micron. Is it Chinese though? Intel. Oh yeah, Nvidia is. Uh, Nvidia is Ty- Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Ah, yeah, well, that's okay. So, but here in the United States. We need, we also, well, I hope what this bill does is it gives incentives for people like me and you to go out there and do research into this type of stuff. Oh, Intel. That's American. Intel, yeah. Um, to, to do this type of stuff. I don't, I don't want to see these big corporations taking advantage of this. Yeah. We can have smarter people who have to be given a chance to, to be making these chips. Absolutely. And there's a bunch of small initiatives out there. It definitely in Silicon Valley that want to make chips but don't have the proper funding to. So I hope that there's more investment in people who are engaged in this. And yes, there's something in the bill about um, investing towards. I know in the chips and uh, chips and science act there was investments towards uh, STEM education, but yeah, I don't see it. But I don't see it in this draft one. Yeah, it'll probably get so. I mean, it's probably times. yeah, it's going to be thrown around a million times. It's still a draft one, but I still love the approach. I approach. love the idea from this from the Senate Dems for doing this, mm-hmm. and I hope that this is a bipartisan thing. And yeah, I hope too. the Republicans are just not like because it's a Democrat bill, they don't want to vote it. Yeah, because they have the the spending cuts to focus on. This is your future spending cut right here. Yeah, like this this is this is our ticket to to make to to live a more cheaper life. So mm-hmm. yeah, not to get too off topic, but. You were talking about corporate greed and how there should be more oversight in terms of something like this. There was a great article in The Economist that I read a couple of days ago that discussed how the majority of Americans feel that there's like, I think it was about 36.5% will feel that there's like their um, companies are the reason for inflation. Mm-hmm. And they did a great study saying that this is actually not true, that the, the actual effects of inflation are all the reasons that we are giving you, you know, because the energy prices are high, because of the war in Ukraine, outsourcing. because of outsourcing, supply chain issues, that corporate companies, and they even did the study in majority of the oil companies, they're not just raising prices for no reason to get yeah. more money, but they have to. And, you know, obviously a lot of companies have recorded record prices this year, especially the oil companies, but it's not because... They they want to. They really they see the future of energy looking away from them, from federal government incentives and or disincentives and to the war. And so to go back to this and the semiconductor thing, this is so important to the private you know um, sector because and, and to energy 
and source in the United States. If we start sourcing things like energy in the United States, then we don't have to worry about what this inflationary problem that's coming from other sources out there. Right. So that's why this bill is important. Yep. I think that's a perfect way to tie it into this. And I hope I hope we see something out of this bill and it actually becomes something to be voted on. But yes. other than that, I don't have much else to say for this one. I'm just looking over again, but yeah, no, this is more of a important debate and discussion. Yeah, it'll come up probably maybe after the, next, the debt like, ceiling month and or yeah, probably after after the, the debt ceiling after they make a decision on that. Um, they'll probably go back to this. Yeah. We're coming close on our deadline for the debt ceiling though, which is kind of scary. What is that? I, June first or something? Uh, fourth. I'm not month, sure. Month of the day. I it's somewhere from like three to four weeks from now, and it's actually kind of scary how close we're cutting it. But that's a discussion for a different day. Yeah. Let's look at Saudi Arabia. Yes. All right. So Saudi Arabia wanting to play a bigger role in the Middle East. So um, in Saudi Arabia, the delegation wants to improve relations with regional rivals and reduce tensions in the Middle East. Um, they're looking to even visit other countries that are outside the region, um, like countries like Sudan, which is very important right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to mitigate or lower tensions in the Middle East and also try to end any ongoing conflicts within Yemen, for example, uh, and Syria handle a dispute, uh, over Qatar's relationship with Iran. Um, let's see here. The Saudis want to see this as a way to explore new avenues for cooperation and address some common challenges in the region. Yeah, this is great, great news for many reasons. And for the United States in particular, because, you know, we, we, we obviously rely on Saudi Arabia a lot for our oil and, and their, the Riyadh is pegged to the dollar. Um, so that is... Huge news that they're trying to be friendly, and especially in the Middle East, because well, the biggest problem I think with the Middle East is that we stuck our noses a little too deep into it, and so they kind of pissed a lot of people off, and so conflicts kind of arise from tensions that like the United States abandoned us, or the United States is too involved with us, and yep. yada yada yada. So I mean, in Sudan on Monday, um, I think this, just this past Monday, they had evacuated more than five thousand people out of Sudan. From Fantastic. the uh, so one of the one of the ports, I can't find it. But that is fantastic news. They also were incredibly helpful in the uh, uh, ceasefire um, t peace talks with the United States. They were at the table with the both the R uh, Jesus Christ, the RSF and the SAF. They were right there at the table with them. That's really great to hear that they're trying to um and i think the uae and egypt are also there as well so this is a one trillion dollar economy um saudi arabia that's on that's looking to expand because they used to be more conservative they had a lot of proxy wars in the middle east and oman and yemen like you said and, and then they just kind of reignited the um, diplomatic ties with iran what I mean, what this this could be a future for the Middle East of, of peak of diplomacy, As of, should be. of economic, you know, sustainability and all that stuff. And, and this is really, really good because this has always been a conflict area. And if we could finally figure out a way to solve a conflict area, get it out of the way, and no better way to do it than be there, but let let them handle it. Mm -hmm. It's time for the United States. 
to back off for once in a region where we're not that well versed in. Yes, we spent years in the Middle East, but let's let the people there decide what they want to do. Let us be on the outskirts, just sitting outside, mediating the discussion rather than leading the discussion. Yes. So they they have they they are oil leaders. Let them deal with it. They know oil better than we do. So let let them handle it. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not not saying like the United States should be like, oh, well, that's not our problem anymore. Yes, it's very important that we stay in there and show that we do want to be a part of the growing Middle East. But it's very important that we we let them decide how to do it. Because we don't want them. We don't want to create a plan where it's U.S. favored. And not so much favor for the Middle East because that's how you cause conflicts again. Mm-hmm. So China was very smart in in the Iran and Saudi talks because they were just like, "Hey, come to Beijing. It's neutral grounds. You know, no one's too close with us here. We'll sit down in the room and listen, and you guys talk. We'll mediate what's the discussion, so no one's talking over each other. And I don't know if that's actually happened, but yeah. I'm just you know they were mediating it, and that's really really smart. In the United States. Thankfully, oh my goodness, thank God, they went to Sudan <laughs> and actually mediated the ceasefire because if China went in there, would- I would have screamed. I would have screamed and be like, what the heck are we doing? We cannot have two conflicted areas be won by the Chinese in a mediated co- in mediation. So thank goodness we got there first. Um, so that, that, that's important. And I think one way to solve all this problem is just do the same thing. Be like, hey, come to Washington. <laughs> Have a talk. We'll figure this it out. This is your this is your place. Much safer than the Chinese, and we won't influence you to do anything. Yeah. Just or NATO could be like, come to Belgium, come to Brussels. Why not? Yeah. Why not? One of my biggest problems, and I I, I don't like getting on this. One of my biggest problems with Europe is that they are so stuck being with each other that they forget about everyone else, and they're doing much better by talking to China. Having African leader summits, try, kind of talking to Saudi Arabia and, and mitigating Israel and Palestine. But Europe could be also incredibly important because, I mean, Europe is just basically an extension of the United States, whether they want to hear that or not. It's true. We are basically one together. And if, if they go down and sit in Brussels, Biden's not going to be upset. The United States is not going to be upset. It is not in China. And so Europe definitely could become more of a mediation. Good, good staging ground, yeah. Yeah, for fixing conflicts and resolving conflicts in the Middle East, creating new economic ties with the Middle East, because it's becoming a much safer area. Abu Dhabi is a safe city. The Dubai is a safe city. The capital of Saudi Arabia, Riyadh. Riyadh is a safe, relatively safe city. And so. If they can just help them build economically, and Europe can have a little bit more involvement in investing and trusting, my goodness, trusting that their money will be fine, would be very nice. Yep. You know what? It's also um, kind of a good timing, too, is when the United States has also wanted to re-engage with Iran on nuclear negotiating. Mm-hmm. So this is a perfect time for the U.S. to step in and also work with Iran while Saudi Arabia is doing it. Uh, I I just had to I just had to put that out there point because I was thinking about it just now. They can trust Iran too. Now I think I think Iran's new leadership is much more trustworthy than what it was back in 2015 and during the Trump era, um, when we were giving them the 
capacity to build nuclear facilities. I think if we reignite the JCPOA, as much as most Republicans would hate that, it would be it would be pretty good in establishing good highs relations with we the Iranians. It. We need it. Yeah. I mean, we need it with the entirety of the Middle East, yeah. to be honest with you. If we can expand it for the all of the Middle East, that's perfect. I mean, we have pretty good ties with Qatar and Egypt and, yep. I mean, Egypt's Africa, but I, I'll count on this the Middle East because of the Yeah, Middle East and North Africa. Yeah, and North Africa. Africa. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, what's the other country? I forgot. Qatar. There we go. <laughs> Qatar. Um, they have pretty good established relationships with them. Saudi Arabia has always been shaky. Iran, you know, whatever. Iran. You know that that that'll be big um, if we reestablish the JCPOA because it would also help out with Iraq. Um, Iran is probably trying to be a little bit more friendly with everybody because they're trying to be friendly with the Saudis. Um, I'm pretty sure you, you said earlier they're trying to figure out mitigate a conflict with Qatar. Like that could be mitigated if the United States tries to help. It was with uh, what did I say? The UAE maybe. Anyways. Yeah, anyways. Yeah, one of those two. Well, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's also, and people ask, people may wonder why it's important, right, for the United States to be the lead in negotiating a Middle East, like, peace. Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia has been known for using its wealth to bridge its, to bridge diplomatic ties with its former foes. As quoted by the CNN. And when I read that, I was like, hmm, that's actually a good point. Yeah. Saudi Arabia is incredibly rich. They can use their money to fix a lot of problems, mm -hmm. which is kind of sad to say that only money fixes problems, but they can use their money to invest in things like more oil for the world. They can invest in infrastructure and more like poor areas of the Middle East. Yeah. And CNN makes a, makes a good point here. I, I can't, I can't lie. It, as much as I don't like websites like CNN and Fox, this is this was a good article. The this one is CNN. a good point. It was a really good article. This is a good I'm point. Not gonna lie, um, because one of the things they discussed about was the credibility challenges. Again, the the, the uh, conflicts that they have in Yemen with um, with the Iranians, proxy wars. You know, OECD being the leaders of that one, or not OECD, OPEC. Oh my goodness, <laughs> being the leaders of OPEC and you know cutting down oil supplies. One of the this could be beneficial for the United States for the Saudis to be the leader because the United States dollar is still pegged to their oil. And we also suck at leading any issues that involve the Middle East. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and so the Saudis, if they see the United States is like, we'll help you out, and the Saudis are just like, okay, well, we'll create the game plan to kind of lead their role and be their leader. Maybe the rest of the Middle Eastern countries will follow just because it's not the United States. But the United States will see it as like, you know, these guys are our allies, quote unquote. Um, they're, you know, I was more economic allies. And back off, the United States. They'll back off because they'll see that they're actually working out something. And it'll be only benefit the United States if they're friends with them. You know what I was just thinking? What? What if the United States and the entirety of the Middle East, if the U.S. goes, let's go back to the semiconductor thing real quick. Mm-hmm. If the United States, I know where this. <laughs> the United States bargains a deal and say, "Listen, we would love to work with you. We want, we want to offer you a better deal than the Chinese. Even offer you a new deal mm -hmm. than what the Chinese is. You give us oil in return for semiconductors." I know exactly where you're going with that. 
It's tell me we can use the oil for power development of semiconductors and use that oil for developing green energy technologies. Mm-hmm. It's and we we both have a win-win situation here. Yeah, Saudi Arabia, UAE, big Qatar developers of green tech and mm-hmm. beautiful infrastructure, energy infrastructure, phys- literally physical building infrastructure. Yeah, they're great. They're fantastic at it. So why not support them with everything they need to build the infrastructure, put semiconductors in the vehicles they need to use it to build infrastructures, semiconductors for the green tech they're developing, mm-hmm. semiconductors for their quote-unquote new Silicon Valley that they have oh, going yeah. on in the UAE. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the previous podcast, topic of the week on the growing influence of the Middle East, yes. you'll know what I'm talking about. It's like, they need us and we need them. Let's do it. And if we can prove that our semiconductors are better, which most they will, importantly, which they will be. I mean, the United States is always going to try and, and and I think we have the better brains than China. I think China is more of the let's get it out as quick as possible. Agreed. And as cheap as possible. Yep. So this could be you're right, huge if we can prove how effective and use private industry to also improve its quality, um, and and also we can probably output. Almost as much as China. We can. We can. We can. We can match them and develop quality semiconductors at the rate they're developing garbage Mm -hmm. semiconductors for cheap. So yeah, and and then in exchange, oil. And and honestly, another green energy tax they might come out with. And then if we invest in our own energy, we can expand it to somebody else and take a little bit of ours. It's like it's the future. Yeah, it's a circle. It is our future. Our future relies on. Working with the Middle East, mm-hmm. that I, I'm just going to put that out there. That is my hot take of the day. If we want, <laughs> yeah. if we, the United States and the rest of the world wants to develop, we need to start moving away from a Chinese dependent um, partner to a Middle East partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that, I'm just going to put that out there. Can we bring China into the conversation? Yes, they are the second biggest economy in the world, yeah, and they have technologies about? that we don't like. That, that they're ahead of. We should never. Why leave- can't we engage in a trilateral type partnership? Yeah, we should never leave them out. And I think honestly, it's a good point. Trilateral partnership, and we kind of, we we kind of come in and, and start this kind of relationship, establish it, establish trade deals, and then we go out together. The Middle East and the United States are like, hey, China, want to join? You want to do something? We already have our thing, and we create another separate trilateral thing, and kind of feels involved better you know better relations between the united states and the middle east and no one's getting exploited anymore because the middle east is developing i mean i we could be completely honest i mean most of the uae and qatar is developed most of the saudi arabia is developed the only countries that are really behind are like afghanistan or, or yemen or oman or and we could bring them in the conversation Iraq. Too. yeah i mean that's it's not, it's not like it's even a if it's a taliban like Taliban uh, led country. What choice do we have for globalization? You know, and one one thing, and, and you say this all the time, was one thing that changes people is money. And the minute Taliban and and the people of Afghanistan start to get a sniff of what a developed what world looks like, things will change. I mean, just look at Saudi Arabia. It is a older conservative Muslim country. But they're developed. They're de- they're they're in the, cre- the the stages of getting to developed. Money talks. And, and in, in the more modern Muslim countries like Qatar and like the UAE, they are developed. 
And so maybe the Taliban or the people will dethrone the Taliban because they're like, it's money that's coming in. Look at what we can have. I can have a refrigerator that, you know, freezes my, my meats and, yep. you know, air conditioning because it gets 110 degrees in the summer and I don't die and I have water coming in. On one me. condition, we tell the Taliban. Mm. Democratic ideals first. And you can come into the conversation. I don't. They won't have a choice. Yeah. Money, they, they won't have a choice. They want to be a part of the global economy. They have to uphold what the international standard yeah. is. Of, no. of whatever international standard we have set, it's democracy based yeah at least we try the world tries at least yeah i don't really like that take on it because we've done it before it didn't work i we mean tried to democratize everybody i mean it just that is true. it just doesn't work but it's at least like, just not proven i think if we just go there and do the china policy and just say well you know we don't screw we don't the morals them. let's just invest in you because you have a lot of money or you have a lot of natural resources um, Afghanistan is another country that sits on a crap ton of cobalt. It's the future of our uh, that makes all of our computers. Um, and then we can say, you know, we're going to invest in you. That's it. We're not going to help you build anything. We're just going to invest with you. Maybe they'll see the money come in. I think it's change? only fair. I don't know. I think it's only fair that like there's like some vis a vis going on here. Like if we yeah. want you to uphold, let's say, women's rights. In return, we'll get you like access to whatever you need. Cause I don't, the, I, I don't want our money to be taken advantage of when we get nothing in return. Yes, we'll get our resources that we need, but sometimes you think at what cost. Mm-hmm. And if we can uphold that, yeah. then we can beat the Chinese at their own game of not looking at the situation. Well, the thing is, the Taliban are actually becoming. I'm gonna use the word liberal loosely. A lot more liberal in how they Fair. run. Fair. So maybe that, it could work. Maybe. It could. And, and you, like we go up to them and say, you got to do, you know, have at least. We want to work with you, but we need this in return. Have the um, the guidelines of the UN Charter. It's very loose. But. International law. International law. In your, in the way you run, the way you run your things. Because they are part of the UN. Yep. And so that if they uphold the UN standards. Um, I think it could be a, a reasonable approach. I mean, the United States is a very democratic country. It's pretty hard to uphold the standards that we uphold sometimes, yep. in like Europe. So if we just go by the UN Charter and just say, you know, just abide by this, we'll invest in you. That's all you got to do. Just abide. Yep. They're 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 really not. I mean, they have they they're building schools for women in, in Afghanistan. I don't know if they're allowing women to drive yet, but not yet, not yet. But I mean, they're. Building schools, that's a good start. It's somewhere. No, it's, it's somewhere. somewhere. So it's a negotiating process. Yep. And Saudi Arabia can help with that. Get back on that. There Saudi Arabia can do bring some full circle Saudi. stuff. Yeah. That's how we bring it back to the Saudi conversation. Saudi, we we yeah. veered off a little bit, but we got back yeah. to it. Saudi Arabia can be the leaders. They can instead of the United States going on their stepping on their doorstep and being like, Hey, you do this, we give you money. The Saudis would be like, Hello there. Yeah. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> I think we're good on this one. Yeah. All right, cool. Thank you guys for listening in on this week's latest global developments. Quite a lengthy one, but there were three very important ones in here that we wanted to talk about. We went from geopolitics and national security to economics to diplomacy. Fantastic episode. I think we covered everything. Yeah. Um, thank you for those who stayed towards the end. And thank you for those who just listened a little bit. Uh, we yeah. appreciate all the support that we can get. 
And um, we'll sign off on this one. Absolutely. Take care.